0: Well, here I am, backed by popular demand. So thank you for your votes. Uh, when Steve or when Chelly uh, sent out the email about Steve and the uh, trouble he was having with his kidney stones, um, I thought, oh gosh, I hope he gets back in time to do the message. And then God laid on my heart and said, what's wrong with you? And I said, you're right, Lord. Um, you know, I need to give my brother a break because he is hurting, he's had a long couple weeks. And need him to go back and relax. So I called him back and texted him and said, hey, Steve, don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. And he went, oh, thank you. (laughs) So here I am. And I'm going to be continuing kind of on the message that I taught about last week. We looked about our conversations with God and about how the sheep know the shepherd and the shepherd knows the sheep by voice and by relation. And in order for us to have heard and answered prayer, we have to know the shepherd and the shepherd has to know us. It's impossible for those who don't know the shepherd to pray to somebody they don't know and for the shepherd to recognize somebody he doesn't understand or know. So, as we go through this morning, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go back to chapter 10 of, uh, excuse me, chapter, yeah, chapter 10 of uh, John, the Gospel of John, and we're going to go and look at a more in depth understanding of the characteristics of the sheep and the shepherd to get more of a depth of understanding of our great shepherd. Uh, in Christ. Um, so let's all stand and turn to uh, chapter 10 of John with me, and we'll be reading uh, verses 1 through, uh, gosh, 20, no, 1 through 30. There we go. 1 through 30. Verily, truly, or verily, verily, or some say most assuredly, I tell you, Pharisee, is anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate But climbs in by another way as a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize that stranger's voice. And Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees didn't understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, or very verily, verily, or most assuredly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come that they might have life and have it full. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees a wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is hired and cares nothing for the sheep, for they are not his. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not in this sheep pen. I must bring them in also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be, they shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up. This command I received from my father. And the Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, he is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple courts Walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews who were gathered there around him were saying, How long will he keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you didn't believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. And there are so many things contained in this this chapter, Lord, but we're just going to hit on a few of the highlights to really look at the true good shepherd. So, Lord, I pray that it's not my words, but your word that penetrates the hearts of those who hear. And this morning, Lord, that... Uh, If there are any people here who are not part of that sheepfold, that, Father, that you would call them into that. So we thank you, Father, for this time. We ask you to bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. To the scribes and Pharisees who had taken it personally, that they should be thought of as blind, and who had cast out a man that Christ had healed of blindness, and for speaking in favor of him back in chapter 9. These who had defamed Christ as an impostor and a deceiver and set themselves to be the shepherds of the flock and the guides and the rulers of the people all of which are pointed out in the following parable here in chapter 10. The purpose is to show that Christ is the true and only shepherd who has appointed called who was appointed called and sent of God whose the sheep are. They they are uh, excuse me whose the sheep are? Boy, when you get muffled like that. The scribes and the Pharisees were the thieves and the robbers and not real shepherds of the flock of Israel and were not sent of God nor did they come in the right door but entered by another way and dictated their dominion and domination over the people which didn't belong to them. This Hebrew word for shepherding has the idea of the word overseer or protector. In the first chapter we find in the Bible in Genesis chapter 4, Abel, the brother of Cain mentioned, was a keeper of sheep. Also Abraham, Jacob, Moses, and David were all shepherds. Some of the greatest names in Jewish history were all shepherds. And throughout the Bible, shepherds have had an important role and are mentioned over 200 times in the Old Testament. Why were shepherds so important to their flock, you may ask? First of all, a shepherd feeds them. He leads them to green pastures. Secondly, he guides them. He directs their path. Sheep are easily distracted and go astray. He guards them against wolves and thieves and false shepherds. He heals them. He tends to their wounds. And he keeps them, always looking for that lost one. Life for the shepherd was a difficult kind of life. It was nomadic at best but it was one of the most and extreme important jobs there was. They were low on the social scale in their society. Though they had a noble history, their occupation had come into hard times. They were usually out on an obscure hill by themselves, tending their sheep. Very little went on out there except tending the sheep. Most people didn't even regard them with a great deal of respect. In fact, shepherds were considered to be so low... That their word was not even to be trusted, they could not even be witnessed or be a witness in a court of law. They were considered to be great liars. Shepherds could not even hold a title to real property. They were confined to the lowest job in society, that of herding sheep from one place to another. They lived in tents. And because of their constant moving to keep the sheep feeding on new grass, they never had a permanent dwelling place. So you wouldn't expect a great deal to take place where shepherds were tending, just a few sheep, would we? If you really wanted to be where things were happening, you would go to Rome, where ambassadors from all over the world would be coming out, partying, where political decisions were being made, and those things that would change the history of the world. The shepherd was responsible for the care of the entire flock. He would have to locate good pasture, find quiet pools of water. You see, sheep will not drink from a fast-flowing river. They were very skittish. He had to protect the flock against attacks by wolves or other predators. He was responsible for keeping the sheep clean and in good health. He sometimes had to apply ointments and other medicines to ward off flying pests and parasites. Sometimes sheep would become agitated because of friction in the flock, butting heads and other things to show their dominance. The shepherd would have to step in to calm the flock down. When the sheep are agitated or restless, they will not feed, they will not drink, and causing them to get sick and even die. A good shepherd had to be constantly alert to the state of his flock for possible dangers and disturbances. Sheep will get restless and scare very easily. So it was the shepherd's job to make them feel safe and secure. The shepherd carried three items which he would use to guard and protect his sheep the shepherd's staff, a club, and a slingshot. The shepherd's staff, with a crook on the end, you've probably seen them many times in pictures, it was seldom used as a weapon the shepherd would use it to guide the sheep back on the path or into the pen, or sometimes he would use it to hook to the end of a sheep and pull back while they were if they were wandering. The club was a heavier stick with a flint embedded at the top. This was used as a weapon against the predators. And a slingshot could be used as a weapon, as David accounts for killing bears and lions when he was shepherding, but more often it was used to fling a stone towards the sheep to warn them and cause them to return, to make a noise. Usually he would build a rough enclosure of stones against a hill for the sheep to spend the night. He would sleep across the opening of the sheep pen and would literally become the door of the sheepfold, or the gate. In her book, The Door of the Sheepfold, Eva Watts writes, As I traveled with a friend through the land where Jesus lived, we reached a high ridge overlooking the village of Bethlehem. There we found a sheepfold and went right in to look. It was not long before the owner appeared. A veteran, like Moses with a long beard, keen-looking eyes, and a weathered face approached us. Is this your sheepfold, my friend asked? I, and is this where the sheep sleep? pointing to a rough shelter thrown up against a rock in a corner. He nodded, yes. But you have no gate to the fold. How do you close them in at night? The old man looked at us as if we ought to know better than asking that question. And he said, I am the door. He said with authority and gathering his loose robe tied about his ankles, he was down in a moment, squatting in the doorway, back against one post, feet against the other post, his knees drawn up and clasped by his weathered, beaten old hands. This was how he guarded his sheep during the night. Gently he bowed his head and closed his eyes, as many times he had done before, to catch a few hours sleep. I am the door, he repeated. I keep watch here at night. If thieves or wild beasts attempt to enter, they have to go through me first. I have never lost a lamb from the fold yet. Early in the morning, the shepherd would take the sheep out to a green pasture to feed them and find water. He would actually call them with a low guttural sound, which was unique with every shepherd. And the sheep would follow him as he was the one who led them away. It is said that sometimes two or three flocks would be gathered in a village uh, together in a sheep enclosure. But only the sheep would recognize the shepherd's voice of the one they followed. After all the spring grass was eaten near the home ranch, then the shepherd would have to take the sheep sometimes long distances to find a new pasture. And during these months, the shepherd would sleep with his flock. Barnes' notes on the New Testament in the Gospel of John writes He leads them, guides them, and does not leave them. A shepherd spent his time with his flock. He went before them to seek the best pasture and watering places and defended them from danger. And we also remember the words of the opening of Psalm 23. He makes me lie down in green pastures and leads me beside still waters. Now, taking all this into consideration, it amazes everyone who reads in Luke 2, verse 8, the following. When we celebrate the birth of Christ, the incarnation of God himself, this world-altering announcement would come to some lowly shepherds on a hill. You would have thought it would have come to somebody more important, such as the scribes or Pharisees or the religious leaders or even perhaps King Herod, who was the ruler at the day. But instead, it came to lowly shepherds. Those shepherds were considered to be the very lowest, as I said, in the social ladder, but it was to these people that the messenger came. Fear not, for I bring you good news of great joy, That will be for all people. The I am is born this day in the city of David. The other important aspect of the shepherd was the character of the sheep he tended. The Bible makes it very clear who the sheep are and what their character is like, and why it is vitally important that they have a shepherd that would feed them properly, guide them clearly guard them passionately, keep them diligently, and heal them lovingly. But not just any shepherd would do. For these type of sheep needed a special shepherd. In his book, A Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm, Philip Keller writes, who actually was and worked as a shepherd for a time. And this is what he has to say about the comparison of us to sheep. He says, sheep are fearful. They are timid and afraid of their own shadow. They're not very intelligent. Sheep can be very stubborn and may need harsh correction. They will blindly follow other sheep astray. They're not very clean and they have filthy habits. This is not too complimentary, is it? <laughs> Fortunately, we have a good shepherd who will watch over us. Here in chapter 10, Jesus gives us important gives important instructions in these verses of how the sheep are supposed to act. Let's see if we can learn from the good shepherd. Jesus says he is the good shepherd and we are his sheep. Thinking of ourselves as sheep is a reality when we consider that the good shepherd is God himself watching over us and taking care of us. But when we examine closely what sheep are like, really like, we may not feel too comfortable about thinking of ourselves as lowly, dirty, and unintelligent sheep. However, this morning we'll be spending our time in John 10, as I said, and in all of the I am statements, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, I am the door of the sheep, I am the good shepherd, I am the resurrection and the life, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and I am the vine. The I am the good shepherd devotes almost an entire chapter to explaining the character of this good shepherd. He also explains the sheep, false shepherds, thieves, and sheep who do not belong to his fold. In this statement, I am the good shepherd, this is packed with insight and revelation. And I hope this morning that you will be blessed and encouraged, as I have, looking at these verses in depth, and hopefully they will change your perspective on how you view yourself and how you view the Good Shepherd. The chapter opens up with these words, truly, truly, or verily, verily, or some even say most assuredly. We also see that in verse 7, this group of words are telling us that there is something coming, a discourse, a commentary of great importance, and it is absolute in its truth. That's what those words mean. Jesus wants to make it a clear distinction between the true shepherd and false shepherds. As the religious leaders had portrayed themselves to be, he wants to make it clear that all those who come before were not the real thing. He categorizes them as robbers and thieves. So we'll take a look at the structure of these verses. In these first few verses, we see that the first ears to hear in chapter two of Luke in the announcement of this world-changing news were lowly shepherds. These obscure men whose job it was to care for lowly sheep. This shepherd that was born into this world would someday become the lamb for all to be sacrificed for those who would believe. This was the beginning of of his sacrifice to the world. And then from this day forward, this little baby had a purpose, a plan, and power from the Father according to his will. Our first point here looks at Jesus, the true shepherd. 1 John 4.14 says, And when we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Verses 1 through 6 again. Very truly, or most assuredly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead and looks for them. And they know his voice and follow him. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. He starts by saying that he is the door or the gate, the entry, the only way into the fold. Any other way would be entered by thieves or robbers coming over the wall or through the fence. The only purpose of a thief is to do what? To steal that which is not his. Because sheep recognize their shepherd's voice, a thief would have to force his way in in some sort to create some kind of fear, entice the sheep and lure them away from the pen to finally steal them and kill them. The thief is always looking out for himself for he doesn't care for the sheep. They're not his. He just needs the sheep to think that he cares for them while his final plan is to sell or destroy. Jesus contrasts this by examining or explaining in detail that the true shepherd's intentions are verses 1 through 6. So let's take a look. First of all, he says, any other than through the gate, any other entry, Is recognized as a thief. Secondly, the one who enters only by the gate is the shepherd. Third, the sheep hear and listen to the voice of the shepherd they know. Fourth, he knows each of them by name. Fifth, the shepherd leads the sheep to follow because they know his voice. And sixth, the sheep will run. When they hear any other voice, this is the characteristic of the sheep and the shepherds. second point, Jesus, the good shepherd, the Christ in acts two thirty six therefore, let all Israel be assured of this: God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah verses seven through 18. Therefore Jesus said, again, verily truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate; whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. Again, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees a wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for those sheep. Again, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And again, I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there they will be of one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up again. In this command I received from my Father. This statement that Jesus makes is a profound one. He says he is a good shepherd. But not only that, but he lays down his life for those sheep. With an audience of religious leaders pharisees and others this statement would pierce the true intentions of their selfish heart which one of them would be willing to lay their lives down for anyone especially for those lowly sheep that they pretended they care for in the first set of verses verses 7 through 10 we have a distinction between robbers and three thieves and the true shepherd In these verses, 11 through 18, we have the difference between a hired hand and the good shepherd. And three times Jesus makes this statement. I will lay down my life for my sheep. Verse 11, verse 15, and verse 17. Jesus wants to make it clear that as the good shepherd, he will do whatever it takes to save his sheep, even if it means death. The primary characteristic of a good shepherd is that he loves unto death. He is willing to die for his sheep. The disciples never could get over the fact that Jesus loved them so much that he was willing to die for them. Many of the epistles of Paul, John, James, and Peter contain awestruck references to this. John writes in Revelation, unto him who loves us, and washed us from sins in his own blood. Paul says in Romans, While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Again in Romans, He who spared not only his Son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with with him freely give us all things? In Peter 2.24, He bore our sins in his own body on the tree. And the writer of Hebrews declares, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot unto God. They were amazed that this blessed one, this good shepherd, this sinless Lord, this matchless Christ would consent to die for them. But that is exactly the mark of this good shepherd. Let's look at these two words, I am and good the words used here for good single out Christ from all other shepherds. Jesus does not say Jesus does not say I am the morally good one. He says this word kalos in Greek means I am the only good one, preeminent and excellent in every feature. I am the good and beautiful one. That word is really packed, isn't it? I am the shepherd, the excellent, preeminent, lovely, beautiful shepherd. I am the shepherd, the excellent, lovely. There is no other good shepherd. I am above all. And of course, to the Jewish mindset, Moses and David were the greatest shepherds that they knew. And so what Jesus is saying here, in effect, he's saying, I am greater than even Moses or David. We see here Jesus Christ was establishing in the minds of Israel his superiority. He said, Moses wrote of me. He said, before Abraham was, I am. And now he's the good, the beautiful, preeminent, and excellent shepherd. This is quite a claim for Jesus to make in the face of Israel's elite religious leaders, isn't it? But he backed it up with not just words but also in his actions. Which one of these religious leaders could make that claim? And I think there's even something beyond the claim to be greater than even David. The next distinction comes from the opening statement, I am. This I am connects all the way back to Exodus chapter three when Moses asks the Lord, who should I say sent me? And the response was, tell them, I am sent you. This I am contains an incredible amount of information, doesn't it? Books have been written along with countless articles on just these two words. Why are, why are they so important? To the Jewish mind who followed the book of Moses, they understood that the I am was in fact the name for God Himself. So when Jesus is saying I am, He's declaring He's God this is not going to go over well with the religious leaders. As Jesus separates himself from all other shepherds, this statement alone singles him out over all the rest. He, in fact, is stating that, again, the same I am that spoke to Moses in Exodus is speaking to them right now. He is the one true God, the one sent from heaven, the one sent to save his sheep, the one declaring to be God. He is the beginning and the end the Alpha and the Omega. In this word, good in Matthew nineteen says, uh, Matthew nineteen and sixteen. Just then, a man came up to Jesus and asked, "Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me? What is good?" Jesus replied, "There is only one who is good, and if you want to enter life, you keep those commandments." Good meaning blameless, righteous, moral, worthy. In other words, there is none originally or essentially or absolutely good but God. There is none who are originally good, only their goodness is derived from their relationship in Christ. In Hebrews 13, 20, 21, it says, now may the God of peace who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with every good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. There's no goodness without him. You can't be good. So when you hear people say, I'm a good person, It's limited. Their goodness can only go so far. Christ is saying the only way you become good is in Christ. The good shepherd cares for his sheep. Do you realize you are a priority in God's busy schedule? He has the whole universe to run. But he makes time to care for individual sheep. Even our smallest needs will get his attention. And he loves us so much, as it says in verse 11, Jesus gave his life for us. The good shepherd makes sure the sheep are well fed. Jesus cares about our everyday needs. He makes sure we are taken care of. Most of us probably think that we take care of ourselves, but in truth of the matter is, everything we have, we owe to him. In his kind provision for us, whether they're good or not. The Good Shepherd leads the sheep to good pastures. Not only does Jesus take care of our basic needs, but he does a good job of it. The Lord blesses in all areas of our life, whether they're physical, spiritual, emotional. The Good Shepherd protects the sheep from danger. He keeps away the predators and moves the sheep to safety when stormy weather is on the horizon. Jesus will keep away those who would try to devour us spiritually. And no matter what storms may be raging around us, we can always rest secure in his protective arms. The good shepherd would keep, us, keep his sheep healthy and free from parasites and disease. Jesus will help us when we are sick. He can heal our diseases, whether they're emotionally or physically or spiritually. It's according to his will that he does that. The good shepherd will calm his flock when they are agitated. Jesus has promised to give us his peace. Not peace, his peace. In the turmoil in which we live, We give false sense of peace, but it's not real peace. There can only be one way to get real peace. We have to remember that when we look around it and we get agitated like sheep do. Thirdly, the knowing shepherd, verses 25 through 30. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you didn't believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you don't believe. Because you're not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one again can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Jesus, the Lord. Philippians 2, 9-11 says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue that acknowledges that Jesus is Lord will someday acknowledge that to the glory of God the Father. We may not see it now, we may not hear it very often, but that doesn't change that someday it says every knee, every tongue, whether heaven, earth, or under the earth, he covers it all, will acknowledge who Christ is. Jesus finishes this discourse explaining not only that he is the true shepherd, not only that he is the good shepherd but also that he is the knowing shepherd. Now he becomes extremely personal. True sheep hear the shepherd's voice. There's no confusion. As sheep, whenever their shepherd came to call them, they would only move peacefully when they heard the right voice, a familiar voice, a voice that they trusted. Jesus reassures his sheep, That the shepherd in verse 27 when he says, My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. He then gives us security, stating that no one can snatch them out of his hand. Now that's truly a comfort and a promise to all of us who know him, isn't it? As our knowing shepherd, let's examine what Jesus did for us. He sacrificed himself for us. He paid the ultimate penalty for our sins, Hebrews 13, 20 and 21. Psalm 103, 11 tells us, For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards them that fear him. He reached out to us with mercy. Romans 5, 8 tells us, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He extended his great mercy and grace towards us. Romans 8.34 tells us, Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died. And furthermore, it is also he who is risen, who is even at the right hand of the God, who also makes intercession for us. He intercedes for us with the Father. John 16, 13 says, However, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth. He sent the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us in His truth. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 instructs us, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For He Himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we... May boldly say, "The Lord is my helper; I will not fear. What can man do to me?" Philippians four thirteen assures us that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And finally, Jesus promises us here in ten, in chapter ten, verse ten, "I have come that they might have life, and they might have it more abundantly." Now there are many, many more promises as I'm sure that you're aware of even in your own lives. But I just wanted to remind us of some of the ones to refresh our memories of just the abundance that we have in Christ. I'm mean, going back to Ezekiel chapter 34 reading in the Old Testament. Uh, this was something that I, I did not see until I went through this and was studying it and this came up and it, it, uh, it's really I just wanted to share this. Ezekiel thirty four, eleven through sixteen it says, For this is what the sovereign Lord says I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines, and in all the settlements of the land. I will tend them in good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There there they will lie down in good grazing land. There they will feed on rich pastures and mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring them back. I will bind up their injuries and strengthen the weak. But the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. That's back in Ezekiel. That's the Lord talking through his prophet. Talking about his sheep and the shepherd. John Newton, who many of you who have know wrote a most amazing hymn of God's grace. Can anyone guess what that was? He was known in the village of Kennington in the Warwickshire, England, as a rough, hardcore sailor with a foul mouth and an appetite for rotten living. He hated life, and life hated him. He was a captain of a a famous slave ship, the Greyhound, in 1748. Then someone placed in his hands a copy of Thomas A. Kempis, the imitation of Christ. He also had the gift of a good mother who told him about the Savior and would read Bible Bible verses to him when he was young. During a treacherous voyage, he cried out to the Lord and realized his wretchedness and gave his life to Christ. He then went all over England sharing his faith in the gospel of Christ. Well past his retirement age, he had the He had to have an assistant stand in the pulpit with him on Sundays because he could hardly stand. He was nearly blind and he whispered when he spoke, but nothing could keep him from preaching while he still had breath. One Sunday, he delivered his message and he repeated the sentence Jesus Christ is precious. His, help, his helper whispered to him, but you've already said that twice. And Newton turned to his, his, his helper and said loudly, yes, I have said it twice. I'm going to say it again. The stones in the ancient sanctuary fairly shook. As a grand old preacher said again, Jesus Christ is precious. One preacher puts it this way. If humanity's greatest need had been information, God would have sent educator, an educator. If humanity's greatest need had been technology, God would have said, sent a scientist. If humanity's greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But humanity's greatest need was forgiveness for their sin. So God sent us his Savior. In closing, let's review. Who will guide us from going astray? The way. Who will guard us and protect us from false teachings and philosophies? The truth. Who will keep us among his fold and be his forever? The life. Who will feed us, and lead us to green pastures? His word. Who will heal us, our sin, our emotional wounds, his promises? What pastor will you feed on? Will we feast on the philosophies and wisdom of this world? The discoveries of scientists, astronomers, mathematicians? Will we feed on the claims of false religious leaders or the dictates of politicians? Or will we be led... By, obedient to, and feed on the eternal word of God. You see, there's only one good shepherd, only one true shepherd, only one knowing shepherd. The question you have to ask yourself honestly this morning are you one of his sheep? that's the only way you could know the true good shepherd lord we thank you for your word this morning we thank you for the depth of your love towards us the care that you have for individual sheep thank you father that you have given us the opportunity this morning to hear the truth of your word that lord i pray that if there are any here who aren't part of your fold lord would you right now quicken their heart Would you speak to them, Lord? Would you explain to their mind that there is only one true shepherd? And the only voice that they can hear is when they come into your presence through Christ. That's the way we have conversations going back to last week with you in prayer and all other ways, is that we are part of your sheepfold. Lord, thank you that you have given us your word and preserved it And although it stirs us, it's truth nonetheless. No matter what we may think, how good we are, there is none good, no, not one, unless we are in Christ. So I thank you, Father, for this time this morning. Thank you for your word. ask you to bless the rest of our day, bless our time and fellowship across the way, that you would be lifted up. In Jesus' name, amen.